and welcome to the One Degree Shift podcast. I'm your host, Eric Termundi, and I'm excited to introduce you to the wonderful guests I've got on season two and the little things they're doing to create a more intentional future for themselves, for their teams, and for the communities around them. I hope you enjoy. Jim DeWald, Dean of the Haskane School of Business. Thank you so much for joining the One Degree Shift podcast. How are you today? I'm just great. It's a real pleasure to be with you. You know, I uh, I didn't think it would it was possible um, going from small town Cranbrook, BC to Calgary. Uh, Calgary was was intimidating. There was there was the culture shock of going from small to big city, then to a university uh, at the age of seventeen. <laughs> into business, which was just a daunting term to be able to graduate from the University of Calgary, to have the support that I've had from you and and from the team and from the Alumni Association, uh, and to have the friendship that we do now is something that I'm incredibly grateful for. And I, I think it's important to start with that. You know, I'm, I'm not having a conversation today with, with the Dean of the Haskane School of Business, but I get to have a conversation with a friend of mine and someone who's ultimately help pave the way and make things uh, easier for me in, in my career. So thank you for, for all that you've done and continue to do and the friendship that we've got. Wow. That's so uh, generous and so thoughtful. Uh, thank you, Eric. I mean, well, for starters, you know, Cranbrook's a pretty big place because uh, <laughs> I like to hang out in Kimberly and we look for the big city of Cranbrook. Uh, mm-hmm. where we go to Walmart and such. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, honestly, in all sincerity, it's, uh, I've so enjoyed every moment that I spent with you. But, um, one of the reasons why I thought this would be a great idea is a conversation with Eric is always a good idea. I don't care if it's recorded or not. So, uh, <laughs> I appreciate uh, you know, that. You bring, you bring a lot to everything you do. So, it's great to be with you. When I look back at my university experience, I was part of the clubs. Uh, I was part of the student union. You know, I was involved in a lot of those extracurricular things. But, you know, I had the very, maybe we'll call it routine, four and a half year university education. And I, I know a lot of individuals that came before me and after me had a very similar experience. When I look at, or when you look at the future of post-secondary education, is, is that what it looks like moving forward? You know, and I know we can't generalize too broadly, but are, are we looking at a similar structure? Um, you know, I'm not even referring to virtual or in-person right now, but is, is the four-year degree something that we're going to see for years to come? Well, I, I certainly can't predict the future, but I guess the way I look at it, Eric, is it's not just an education uh, in terms of academics. Mm -hmm. It's an education in terms of, um, you know, coming of age. And uh, it's an important period in people's lives, typically Mm -hmm. between the ages of 18 and 22 or 23. I actually feel that uh, that will continue, that I don't see a big change in it because it's just sort of the right fit. And you see, when you see young people, when they come in when they're 17, 18, and you see them leave at 22, 23, you think, yeah, you know, a lot more happened there than understanding debits and credits or mm-hmm. uh, how a supply chain works. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a real growing up, a real change. They dress different. They look different. They hold themselves different. Uh, they've made lifelong friendships. They've built networks. They're starting to plan their big future. So I, I think if you believe that it's going to shorten up, you would have to believe that all of that, 
growing up is going to shorten up. Mm -hmm. And I don't really see that. Um, and I, in fact, uh, we spend a lot of time in our orientation now giving uh, the first year students some comfort that, look, you know, uh, don't feel the pressure that you have to do this in four years. Right. Because, you know, about half of our students do it in five years. And uh, that that's a good thing for them. They enjoy right. that and they uh, get a lot out of it. It's more important that you really experience being in university and join clubs and do all the things that you did and mm -hmm. test yourself in case competitions and get up and speak in front of an audience and sure. you know, crack all of those uh, nerves. Are you seeing the average age of the student stay the same? You know, and, and, and perhaps to give some context in this, you know, we see companies like AT&T in the United States, they committed a, a billion dollars to retraining and upskilling their, their individuals. You know, we, we see numbers that suggest that if you're not upskilling or reskilling every three to five years that you're starting to fall behind, that 65% of the jobs that 12 year olds are going to get in the next, you know, 20 years haven't yet been created. Uh, what's what's the conversation around lifelong learning and continuous learning that uh, the university is, is having? You know, it's it's a huge part of our future. Um, mm -hmm. And it's interesting because we've uh, we've kind of moved and I see this with a lot of schools. Um, one of the advantages of being a business school dean is we're all accredited. Mm -hmm. And so I sit on accreditation panel. So I've uh, been fortunate to be able to accredit schools in Australia, New Zealand, Asia, Europe and through Canada. Mm -hmm. And um, it's pretty consistent. What you see is a big growth in graduate professional programs mm -hmm. and your degree programs. Uh, people aren't as interested in non-credit or just workshops or whatever. Yeah, there's okay. a little bit of that. It's fine. But you'd be amazed how many people are taking um, an MBA and it's not their first mas master's degree. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have a lot of people with multiple master's degrees. And even now we have a professional DBA, a doctorate of business. Right. And a lot of people going into that have three degrees when they come into it. So, yes, there is a lifelong learning for sure. Uh, we have people in their 50s and 60s in our classes. But it's very much a degree granting process right now, which I find interesting because I'm like you. I read the paper and people at Google say, what do we need a degree for? Blah, blah, sure, blah. Sure, sure, sure. But it seems that individuals still want that credential. They want to know that they've, um, uh, you know, they've leapt across that hurdle. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk then virtual. You know, how, how, how are we seeing the virtual classroom develop? I mean, we're, we're into it now. It's, it's not new as of, you know, September. You, you I know, have been working uh, on the virtual component of the classroom for much more than eight to 12 months. How have you sort of kneaded out the wrinkles and, and what has that experience been for the students, especially when you talk about that coming of age period in life that's uh, so transformative? Yeah, it's, it's an 80 20. 80% is actually quite exciting. 20% uh, there is still struggles. Okay. And um, I, I do worry about in particular the students who aren't getting all they can get from mm -hmm. an online experience. But if I look at the, the other 80%, in particular the, the uh, top 20%, we're doing some really fantastic things. And, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a book in this one, Eric, for sure, that um, – we, even though we had all the technology, even what we're using right this minute while we're talking for a long time, and certainly it's been very accessible for over a year, mm -hmm. it was only that we were forced to use it that mm -hmm. it really became 
comfortable and well used and and well used in effective ways. Sure. So now we have a lot of uh, most of our courses. We have uh, guest speakers from all over the world mm-hmm. as part of what we're doing. We have a real mix of, um, of pre-recorded stuff. Uh, we we're almost always using breakout rooms and opportunities for students to work in projects and then bring it back to the class. So uh, we've looked way like if we wouldn't have had this pandemic, I I worry we wouldn't have made been in maybe another five or six years to get wow. up to where we are now. But because we had the pandemic, everybody had to learn it fast. And now we're learning a lot of great stuff that we'll keep. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no question about it. We'll keep if this just goes away like some politicians have said. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, anyways, I've learned over the past eight months, there are really, there, there are actually two types of innovation. And I think you've alluded to them both. Uh, the first being forced innovation and the second being chosen innovation. And then, you know, if I look back to March 13th, I was on a plane down to Los Angeles for an event and I flew back that evening. I think I was on American soil for about 120 minutes or so. Um, and I came back and, and I moved my home office a- a- around because now I was going to be sharing it with my partner come Monday morning. We were forced to innovate in order to have our, our space set. But what happened after that is, you know, we rearranged our office furniture, we changed the angles, we changed the times of day, we changed the comfort of our seat. And ultimately, we chose to innovate to reduce friction repeatedly so that we found a system that really worked for us. There was no playbook, there was no handbook, there was no best practice guide. And, and that very much sounds to me like the practice that you've been working through with the Haskane School of Business. Now, when you're looking to choose to innovate, which by and large, it sounds to me like you've been doing for the past six months. Once you've realized we were forced to move to the virtual platform, now it's a series of tests and pivots and tweaks so that we can, you know, using the language that I like to use, reduce friction and create a more seamless experience. What does that process look like for you now? Because clearly you've got something that works, right? How, how do you continue to increase the effectiveness of the virtual delivery and the programs that you're delivering? It's a shared practice, um, and so we're fortunate to have a very strong group of faculty members um, mm-hmm. that regularly get together and uh, discuss ways that they could be cutting edge and finding mm-hmm. ways to improve. So um, I think it, it, we just have to make sure it's very organic mm-hmm. and it, uh, it, it evolves on its own and that there is some competition, you know, trying to keep up with what might be happening in other places. But uh, really, uh, like it, I guess what I'm saying is if I tried to, uh, from the dean's office, make some edicts, you shall do this or that, that would be a total disaster. Right. Uh, my job in, uh, through this whole crisis has been find resources, find mm-hmm. money so that we can get nice equipment so everybody can have multiple monitors and nice microphones and earphones and uh, make sure that everybody can have TA so they can monitor chat and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I just want to get money and get out of the way. And that seems right. to be working. And what does that sort of communication framework or, or feedback loop look like, you know, when you have the faculty working together to put some of these practices in place, you know, you, you mentioned that it, it, it's about coming together, about meeting, about having the opportunity to voice uh, these opportunities. What, what does that look like practically? Is it, is it a weekly meeting? Is it a monthly meeting? Is there a framework or a process that you follow so that these new ideas can be brought to the forefront? Yeah, it's kind of all of the above. So, mm-hmm. 
Uh, we start with the infrastructure of, we have an associate dean for mm-hmm. teaching and learning, Leighton Wilkes, who's a uh, genius. Like, actually, uh, I don't know if you followed this guy, but, um, you know, if you win the Students' Union uh, Teaching Award four times, you get retired. He's the only person ever to do it in his first four years of teaching. Wow. Absolutely wow. amazing. So now he's turning his mind to uh, being able to spread his science in a broader way. So he's our associate dean, but he's got um, uh, what we call teaching and learning fellows. So mm-hmm. faculty members who are paid to, um, uh, to do this kind of work. And then it stretches out into the area. So we have events uh, like uh, they'll uh, get together as a larger group once every couple of weeks to get together a smaller group once a week. And then they have special projects that they're monitoring. Um, and continually trying to uh, improve what they do. So uh, we're just lucky to have the, uh, the commitment. Well, I was lucky to actually to have Leighton as a professor back, back in my day, back in uh, Human Resources. I remember the 317 level, and it was, uh, it was great to be able to be connected with him. What, what excites you most about the future of, of post-secondary, the future of education? You know, um, I, I have a bit of a biased view on this, and that is, uh, full disclosure, I started as an engineer, even mm-hmm. though I'm dean of the business school, and then I did my MBA and my PhD in business. But it just amazes me how important business education is, mm-hmm. no matter what field you, you go into. Uh, even if you're going to be an artist, you, you have to price your work. You have to be able to uh, uh, market and ship it. And uh, so I'm seeing more and more growth in different ways that we can share our management education, mostly on the graduate level. Again, people can do uh, their undergraduate in whatever their passion or interest can be, but they find uh, whether it's, you know, after a few years or even now we have a program called the Masters of Management, you come right out of an undergraduate degree and take a one-year business uh, which covers all the HR, supply chain, uh, finance, accounting, on and on. Uh, that is becoming a very prop- popular program, not just mm-hmm. with us, but uh, around the world. And I just think there's more and more opportunities to help people understand how they can take their special skill, whether they're a brilliant software engineer or they're really good at biology or understand dark matter, and layer on top of that management skills to be able to organize teams and really make amazing impact on the world. That's mm-hmm. what excites me. We can be a part of that equation. Is there anything that you're concerned about? Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's lots of things to be concerned about. You know, in Alberta, I think we have lots to worry about. I worry about where we're going with our economy and our direction. And it's a little frustrating um, because I feel we have to recognize, look, Oil and gas is not going to go away, but it's not going to become the darling of the stock market or anything else. So it's a platform that we should have as an advantage over all all others. Say, look, we've got this solid foundation. Now let's grow in areas for the future using more technology, whether it's AI, robotics, and so on and so forth. And I hope we get there, Eric. I'm seeing some signs that maybe we're moving that way, but... If we don't do that, we could easily get left behind uh, because I think there's going to be some rapid change coming out of this pandemic. Do you see as perhaps a last question or topic, do you see things like 
you know, a universal basic income or some sweeping economic change at all sort of change the function of, of, of university or post-secondary education? Um, boy, that's uh, kind of, a, well, I'll do two parts. So two parts. First is, I think there's going to be massive uh, change in our uh, social regulatory tax structures. Um, we, we can't turn a blind eye to the, um, the inequality anymore. You know, like it is really gotten um, run away from us. So something I think has to be done very seriously on a public policy basis. What that means for education, it kind of depends on which way it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do feel that uh, as we, you know, if you stand back and you say we're moving to more and more machines doing routine work, um, people aren't going to, uh, you know, just, well, some, but most people aren't going to, going to just lay on their couch and watch Ellen mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, people are still going to want things to do and want to use their minds. Yeah, and uh, that would suggest that there should be good opportunities for universities in the future. I couldn't agree more. Is there anything else you want to share with us today? Well, well, I've got a minute or two left of your time. Just how impressed I am with you. I mean, uh, it's really amazing what you've done, Eric, uh, with your career, and um, you're such a great initiator and self-starter and thoughtful person. And uh, I'm really proud that you uh, have the Hanskey meme on. It's probably on some wall somewhere there and uh, that yeah. you've, uh, you've kept your connection with the school. Uh, uh, we love it and we love you. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today and, and your very kind words. I'm very grateful to be able to have this time with you and to be able to record such a, a great session. So I, I hope you enjoy your day and, and thanks again for your time. Okay, Eric. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye.